Hi, this is Robert Fleming, one of the partners in the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, my partner, and I are here today to explore elder law issues with you in our, in our weekly podcast. Elizabeth, um, I thought that maybe we could talk about taxes today because who doesn't like talking about taxes? Sounds fun, Robert. <laughs> I always have fun talking about taxes. One of our listeners asks a question. Um, they've heard us say before that you really ought to hire an accountant to file the income tax returns for a trust because they're not as simple as individual income tax returns can sometimes be. And they've said, so um, if, if there's only, let's say, $5,000 in a trust, um, and let's make it an irrevocable trust just to keep it clear, how much is it going to cost for a $5,000 trust to pay an, a CPA to prepare the taxes? Well, Robert, I think the first question here is, do you really need to be filing a tax return? How much income has been generated in that trust? And that is a key question. Thanks. I served that up nicely. If, if, you, uh, if you don't have $600 of income in the trust, you may not have any need to file a tax return at all. So a $5,000 trust might be, uh, might be exempt from filing a return at all. Uh, and so it, then it becomes moot how much the CPA is going to charge. But the practical reality is um, that income tends to, tends to be above the $600 level pretty often. So let's assume that what the person actually meant to ask us is, if there's only $5,000 of income to the trust, how much is the tax return going to cost? Well, Robert, again, the tax return and what it's going to cost is going to be dependent upon the work involved. And in this particular case, you would need to file a Form 1041 with the IRS, which is the income tax return for a trust. One big question I have is, are we talking ordinary income? Yeah, that's a very good question. Ordinary income or capital gains. Um, and there's also another question that we need to ask. I mean, this is actually a harder question than it appeared to be at first glance. The other question is, is the trust going to file its own taxes or is there somebody, the person who set up the trust, for instance, who's going to be liable for the taxes on the, on the income? In the case of, uh, of a third-party trust set up by somebody for the benefit of somebody else, maybe it was uh, a gift that they didn't want to make outright, they may still owe the income taxes on the money that they gave away, even if the trust is irrevocable. So it may be that the tax accountant that you talk to is going to say, uh, I'm not going to charge you very much for the advice because the trust doesn't have to file a return at all. All of that income is going to be taxable to the person who set it up. Well, Robert, that's an ideal scenario. We have to consider, though, what happens when we get those calls from beneficiaries who receive a Form K-1 and they're befuddled by what that form means and the fact that the beneficiary himself or herself actually has to pay taxes? Yeah, and that's a, another complicating, complicated, I guess, question. Uh, it's not correct that all of the distributions from an irrevocable trust are taxable income to the beneficiary, but it is correct that to the extent there is tax liability, it can be not only for cash distributions out of the trust, 
but for things the trust pays for for the benefit of the beneficiary. So if you are the beneficiary of a trust set up by your grandfather in his will and he's now died uh, and there's a ton of money in there and the only thing that the, the trust did for you last year was to buy you a new car, well, guess what? There may be some taxable income associated with that distribution out of the trust but only to the extent that the trust earned income. So if the trust was all invested in certificates of deposit and they got 0.2% interest rates and the total amount of income in the trust was, you know, 500 bucks, yeah, you might get a tax bill for the tax on 500 bucks, but not for the whole value of the car that you got from your grandfather's trust. Which is a really different set of facts than if what happened was assets were sold, investments were sold, and there were a lot of capital gains. That then raises the question of how do you characterize those capital gains? And oftentimes the trustee will have the ability to decide whether those would be um, characterized as principal or income. Right. Absolutely right. The default answer is that capital gains are treated as a return of principal. And that would mean that the trust actually pays the taxes, even if you did get a car out of the out of the trust. Um, and uh, and so you wouldn't get necessarily get a K-1 and have to pay any taxes. By the way, if the trustee decides to treat the capital gains as income and distribute them out to you, uh, you get taxed at capital gains rate, even though what you got was something that you think of as income. So it can be kind of a complicated question again, exactly what that return is going to look like. This is all why we think you should not be filling out your own 1041 unless you happen to also be a CPA or a, 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 pretty, a lawyer pretty familiar with, uh, with fiduciary income taxes. And Robert, not every accountant or CPA is going to be familiar with fiduciary income tax. So one important question, if you are a beneficiary or you are a trustee, and you have questions about the Form 1041 or the K-1 that you received, make sure that the accountant, the CPA that you may be working with actually has a background in fiduciary income tax, these kinds of issues. Subchapter J, it, it is a real area of often confusion and misunderstandings. It may look simple on the surface, but can be quite a bit more complex. Right. The other thing to understand in this whole trust income tax arena is that pretty high likelihood that if the trust itself pays income tax, it will pay it at a higher rate than either the person who put the money in or the beneficiary who received distributions. So if you're the beneficiary of a trust and everybody is saying to you, no, no, we want to give you a K-1, we want you to incur some income tax, that's not because they're mean or jerks. That's because they're hoping to have the total tax bill be reduced. And Robert, remember, a trustee can consider whether or not to help make a payment towards that income tax bill that the beneficiary may have on his or her personal return. That's actually allowed. The trustee can decide that there may be an additional distribution to help with that kind of expense. Right. So talk about that with the trustee or the trustee's counsel or the CPA who's prepared the returns for the trust as well. Pretty complicated area. This is why we say um, make sure you hire somebody who knows what they're doing. 
Elizabeth, I completely agree with you that uh, I, I default to CPA, but not every CPA has ever filed a trust income tax return. It's a little bit of a subspecialty within accounting. So make sure your CPA is familiar with it. If you're talking to a lawyer about it, make sure your lawyer is familiar with trust income taxes and accounting. And, uh, and yeah, you might pay a little bit of money for that advice, but, uh, but it is money well spent is, is our view. And Robert, I think when we talk to beneficiaries, there are so many questions about how much they're going to need to pay in tax on a particular distribution or just by the nature of being a beneficiary. And, and it's important to realize that those are, those are important concerns and we have to slow down and make sure that people can understand it in plain English. Because if somebody's uncomfortable receiving distributions and all of a sudden you've got a trustee who's afraid to make distributions, you know, without knowing it, you could be spending more on administrative fees and taxes by keeping all the income in the trust. So it can be kind of a vicious circle of confusion. Absolutely true. We like to try to cut through the confusion. We hope that we have helped with that today. We hope that you'll join us again for our next episode of Elder Law Issues with me, Robert Fleming, your host, and my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings-Freeman. Elizabeth, um, let's come back and talk some more next week.